Welcome to this episode of Disease Du Jour on the topic of donkey and mule care with Amy McLean, PhD, an assistant professor of teaching at the University of California Davis College of Veterinary Medicine. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2022 by Merck Animal Health. Dr. McLean received her BS in animal science with an equine emphasis at the University of Georgia. She received her master's from the University of Georgia and her PhD from Michigan State University. Her research interests include improving equine management, behavior, and welfare, with a specific interest in donkeys, mules, hennies, and working equids in developing countries. Thank you, Dr. McLean, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour to talk about donkey and mule care. Well, thank you, Kimberly. I'm so excited to be here and to share a little information and hopefully helpful knowledge um, on donkeys and mules. Well, this is wonderful because I just love donkeys and mules. I do not profess to be an expert in them. I'm not sure if anyone does that they should probably uh, admit that out loud. But (laughs) um, we also want to tell our audience that Dr. McLean is at a donkey and mule show. So you might hear a little sound effects in the background that is not us. That is really the donkeys and mules. So one of the best horsemen I've ever known who had has had mules for decades said something to me one time that stuck with me over the years. Mules is different. And today, what I want to talk about is what veterinarians and vet techs need to know about mule and donkey physiology and behavior in order to better care for these patients. Because when what we were talking about, what, what uh, Dr. McLean and I were talking about, it's like um, people you wouldn't expect to have donkeys and mules have them as pets now. Down in Florida, somebody the other day uh, said that if if they you could find a donkey or a mule down there, especially miniature donkeys, they're in every paddock down there, and that there are just none left. They're all they're looking for them. So let's start by just going back through some of our basics. Let's define donkey, mule, and henny for our audience. Yeah, that's a great place to start, Kim, um, because so often I hear my colleagues referring to a mule as a donkey or a donkey as a mule. And to the owner, they're quite sensitive about what the difference is in a donkey versus a mule. And if you do own a henny and you know what a henny is, you're even more sensitive to applying the correct name and terminology. A donkey is a species of animal just like a dog or a cat. And a lot of times we'll hear donkeys also referred to as burros or asses. They're all the same animal. Um, There's no difference in a burro and a donkey. A lot of times people think um, a donkey coming from the wild is only a burro. A burro is just a Spanish term for donkey. So They all belong to a different species than horses do, Equus asinus. There's some really interesting differences that we'll get into in terms of physiology. And then the hybrid offspring of a donkey crossed with a mare horse, so a jack, which is a male donkey crossed with a mare horse, is a mule. They come in all sizes, all colors. They can be miniature mules all the way up to the size of a warm blood. And the same is true for donkeys, too. A lot of times people think donkeys are about the size of a pony, but they can be very tall, 14 to 16 hands as well. And then another cross that's really unique is the henny. And so the henny is out of a female donkey, a jenny or jennet, and then by a stallion. And um, again, hennies are unusual. Um, There's likely more hennies out there than we know, um, unless we're actually there when they're they're bred. 
but it's also a unique cross. I've done a few studies trying to look at the um, morphology of pennies and try to differentiate between looking at maybe the head, the ear, the body of a henny compared to a mule. So, so we know the difference. And the reason why I'm interested in that is we've done some studies, again, from a physiological approach, and there are some differences, and we'll briefly discuss those today. Okay, well, that's great. Well, and I think before we get into the physiologic, and, and you and I have talked about this also before we started, behavior. Because right. you got to understand them before you can care for them. So why is it that donkeys and mules have, you know, such a reputation? And how can veterinarians first meet a new patient? And how do they get along with them? Yeah, that's a great point. And I think their behavior, as your, your horseman said, mules are different. That is so <laughs> true. Mules are different. Donkeys are even more different. And I'll be the first to say they're not for everybody. And their behavior and body language is different than a horse. Um, you mentioned horses are forgiving and horses are forgiving and oftentimes I think easier to work with. Mules and donkeys both have a really high level of cognitive ability to reason. So if you interact with them and you honestly don't make friends before you start interacting and poking and prodding, you're going to have an animal that's more resistant, more difficult to interact with, and then try to even get to a diagnosis on the disease that they may have. Um, I always try to train my students' approach actually from the face back, where a horse, we might go up to their neck, the side of their body and go to the neck, and then we're allowed to proceed. Um, with a mule or a donkey, I don't know. I extend my hand forward. I let them reach out to me with their nose. And then I work my way up there, the bridge of their nose, their forehead. I do some scratching, soothing, um, you know, voice with them. They, they have big ears. They can hear a long way. And you don't want to be that predator, like, popping in. So that's the other thing I, I really try to share with practitioners. Go slow. Be patient. If you rush up to a mule or a donkey, then their natural reaction is to sit back, that fight response. Start scratching on them, talk to them, get to know them. Similar to dating, you know, before you get to second base, you know, get to know the donkey, the mule in the face, and then work your way back to their neck if you're going to do an injection. And make sure you really have their trust before you go to the tail and try to pull a temperature. <laughs> That's a really good point. I mean, I, I've been fortunate to be around some very good donkey and mule people in my life. And what they always told me was, you know, oh, people who don't understand donkeys and mules think they're stubborn, but they really have a higher sense of self-preservation than horses. Yeah. So they're not going to let you get them in trouble. <laughs> That's right. That's so true. It is. That's a wonderful way to look at it. Instead of them being stubborn or, you know, even sadly, the blunt, the blunt of all jokes of, you know, people being stubborn or difficult to interact with. They're extremely cautious. So they're thinking about why do I need to do this? Why do I need to be poked with a needle? What is the stethoscope? How is that going to hurt me? Oh, I've got a little donkey brain here in the background. <laughs> um so, yes, we just have to think about we need to really work with them and not try to be the dominant person when we're interacting. Um, restraints work really well, especially on mules that can be more fearful. A mule really gains the trust of their owner or handler. And oftentimes you may have to actually have that handler help you with maybe a simple procedure. 
because they will not allow somebody they, this unfamiliar proceed. So use their level of reasoning and cognitive ability and that cautiousness as, okay, how am I going to interact with an animal that's maybe smarter than I am? Yeah, and that's uh, that, that's a little hard. And I've I've seen farriers and veterinarians go up and just take hold of, of a mule and the mule's like, mm, no, I don't think so. And they're strong. And, and unlike a horse, again, and, and you can talk about this, there's really not a safe place around a mule because they are so flexible. They can get you standing at the shoulder. They can get you. I mean, it's so, yeah, yeah it's, it's a caution. I, I like to tell a lot of people, I was just in Mexico working with a bunch of students that were from um, UNAM, one of the major veterinary universities in Mexico City. And they came to learn how to work with mules. We were doing a castration study. And one thing that's very expressive about mules and donkeys, they're very agile. Like you mentioned, they can kick you standing at their shoulder. Um, <laughs> but if you watch their head and neck position and their tail, similar to a cat, when a cat's upset, they start kind of wagging their tail. Mules and donkeys also do that. And you know they're uneasy when you see the tail movement. Um, going back to restraint, if you don't know the mule again, approach them, be very patient, work your way back. If you still feel resistance, and mules and donkeys both have a very strong fight instinct, so that means they're going to push into you. Instead of a horse having a flight mechanism, they're going to probably jump away or jump forward on top of you. The mule's going to push into you. The donkey's going to push into you. And as you mentioned, their level of strength is like no other. So you truly cannot manhandle a mule or a donkey. And that's where you want to use a nose twitch. Blinders work well. I don't know, I've blindfolded mules before in Peru and Colombia. Um, but the nose twitch is really your friend. You can put a nose twitch and it does release the endorphins. They stop. You can then go to pharmacological restraint and get done whatever you need to do. But when we are using a different medication, sedation, anesthesia, um, and even pain medications, NASIDs, um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, we have to then start thinking about this is a mule, this is a donkey or a henny. The dose is not the same as a horse. And you mentioned miniature donkeys earlier. A little miniature donkey that weighs 300 pounds, you're going to have to, from a sedative standpoint and also from a NASID standpoint, Flinixin or um, uh, phenylbutazone, you want to look up doses for a miniature donkey, because a 300-pound miniature donkey will probably need the amount that it would take to sedate or manage pain for a 900 to 1,000-pound horse. Yes, and when you go to start doing a dental on one of those, they will let you know really quickly they're not sedated enough. <laughs> that is right, yes. And I love the fact you brought up dentals. A lot of times people think mules and donkeys, you know, they don't require vaccination. They don't need dentals. They don't need their hooves done. They are cousins to the horse. They still need all of that care. And um, so it shouldn't be ignored. But just make sure they're restrained properly and sedated or under the, the correct anesthesia. Going back to this trip I just came from in Mexico, I, I had a friend who actually studied anesthesia in mules, donkeys, and horses. And we still had to increase our induction dose of xylazine. And even um, when we were starting to lay them down, the ketamine. Because these mules were more fearful. And that's just something to keep in mind. You know, they they are different. Mules are different. Donkeys are different. 
let's say that you, you've gained the trust. You can walk all the way around. You can even lift its tail and take its temperature, which is on most horses is no big deal. But yeah, that's a that's a cannon with a donkey or a, a mule. But let's say you've, you've gained the animal's trust. The owner's there. The, the, the ass is very calm. Um, so what about physiologic differences? You just mentioned that you need to go check the dosages because sometimes donkeys and mules take a little different dosage, but they're also can be sensitive to other things. Right, exactly. And, you know, and I was working with, like I said, colleagues that I especially invited on that trip that have worked in this area. And we were still having to increase our dose to safely, you know, perform the castration and anesthetize the animals. Just some um, very basic differences to be aware of, uh, especially from a clinical aspect, is the baseline temperature of a donkey mule and henny is different than a horse. So if we're looking for, um, you know, possible fever or just the overall health status, the baseline temperature of a donkey is 98.5. And yes, it's going to fluctuate. We're going to see changes throughout the day, stress, environmental, and all of those. But that's much lower than a horse. It's around 100 degrees. The mule's baseline is around 99 degrees. And then the henny is in between 98.5 and 99. So you know, if they're running a temperature, a low-grade temperature at 101, we might, you know, miss that if we're comparing a donkey's temperature to a horse. We also find that their heart rate is higher on average between 40 to 50 beats per minute, and that's true for donkeys, mules, and hennies. Um, so I think that's important to keep in mind because if we are looking at a colic case or, a, you know, disease that's increased the heart rate, we need to maybe adjust our baseline a little bit higher. Um, also remember, they're going to be really stoic. They're truly not going to show you a sign of a disease until it's extremely advanced. And something to keep in mind with donkeys, when a donkey stops eating, they're a dead donkey. They will eat up into that point. And a lot of mules are the same way. Um, people are breeding much fancier mules these days. They're using really you know, nicely bred horses. They're being more selective about the purpose. But one positive thing I will say with that, I believe we're getting mules that are that have a higher flight mechanism. So they're showing signs of acute pain, um, I think, better than maybe some of our mules did 10 years ago or 20 years ago because they're coming from different genetics. But we still have to pay attention to does it look sick? How is it reacting? Yeah, and also with the physiologic, we know that especially the donkeys, and I have one, their uh, body conditions, they were bred to live on the desert and, and be air ferns. I mean, these are not just easy keepers. These are air ferns. So how do you keep a miniature donkey so that it's not so obese that the neighbors look at you like you're abusing this poor animal? Yeah, that's a wonderful point, too. Managing the body weight of a donkey or mule is really a challenge, and especially from a donkey standpoint, because they did evolve from a desert. Um, we have an ongoing study in Death Valley looking at pathogen loads and then also watching the migratory patterns of wild burrows, donkeys, and they live on nothing. It's, it's called Death Valley for a reason. There's not much there, but the donkeys thrive. And that's something to keep in mind. You think about Florida and you think of lush green grass everywhere. Not an ideal environment for a desert creature that excels in the desert. So dry lotting them, only turning them out in the mornings when sugar and fructans are much lower in the grass is a great idea. Limiting their grazing, ideally. Um, 
donkeys seem to get really depressed if you do do a grazing muzzle. So I don't suggest the grazing muzzle, but they get really upset. And when a donkey gets upset, they get stressed. And then we set up another metabolic condition, such as hyperlipemia, where we start mobilizing fat cells, and then we shut down the liver. With that being said, too, I'd just like to briefly mention, um, when you're pulling a blood sample and you're running um, CBCs or hematocrits on donkeys and mules and hennies, there are differences in white cell lines um, in hematocrits, electrolytes. And circulating triglycerides are about three times as high, normally speaking, in a healthy donkey compared to a horse value. But they are susceptible to hyperlipemia. So that is something to keep in mind. There's been a lot more research, again, from a metabolic standpoint, trying to diagnose um, donkey insulin resistance and donkey metabolic disease. And um, there's been some great research that's come out of Ohio State University. Dr. Ramiro Torbio has done a lot of that research with some colleagues in Spain. We're currently trying to work on parameters for metabolic disease and mules. Um, I have a colleague at Arizona State, Dr. Elaine Norton, um, and we're trying to look at what does ACTH look like in the fall compared to the spring, and how is that different than a horse? Because again, donkeys and mules will deposit fat differently than horses will. They're a lot more um, efficient in metabolism. That's why they metabolize medicine so differently and quicker. So we just have to keep all that in mind, especially when you run a simple blood sample. Okay, this is being compared to horse values. Is this a donkey? Is this a horse? Should the liver enzymes be elevated? Should they not? Um, there's also some great research that's come out of the pathology lab at Cornell University with Dr. Aaron Goodrich. She's a great resource um, that can give you a little more information on um, some of those differences. But there's a lot of labs now across the U.S. and even the world that because we have seen this increase in interest of mules and donkeys coming to clinics, you know, we want to know the most basic information and taking temperature blood samples. Those are where we're going to start with diagnostic tools. But if we can't compare apples to apples, then it's pretty easy to misdiagnose some diseases. Well, and, and you mentioned going to uh, take a blood sample. And, and this is something my vet, when I, I lived in Kentucky before, I live in Wyoming now, but the first time my Kentucky vet came, and of course, you've got so many thoroughbreds there and you know the thin-skinned horses, as we call them. Um, and the first time she went to try and vaccinate or draw blood from my mule, my, she was my donkey. She was like, oh, my gosh, I can't get the needle in. Yeah. Yeah, that's an adaptive effect that we see, especially with donkeys and also with our mules. I mean, just in general, their skin is usually thicker. Um, the muscle that covers the jugular vein, the cutaneous coli muscle is a lot thicker because, again, going back to the wild jack, their natural behavior is to fight and they go for the jugular. Um, with that being said, you want to go higher up the one third of the neck to try to access the jugular vein on both the mule and the donkey. If you are not confident in your blood drawing skills, I suggest using a bigger gauge needle, maybe use an 18 versus a 22. When you get good at your job, I mean, yeah, you should be able to do it with a 20 or 22. Just keep in mind, you go to poke them with an 18, you're, that's a bigger poke. So they may react a little more, but you have to get through the skin. Um, which makes if you want to drop a catheter in a donkey or a mule, 
um, that becomes more challenging because, again, you have to go through that thick skin. You have to go through a thicker uh, cutaneous coli muscle. But I think it does help to go up closer to the throat latch um, and not as low as what we would typically draw um, a horse sample or um, do an intravenous injection on. And when it comes to vaccines and vaccinating mules and donkeys, do you suggest anything different from horses? No, I really don't. I mean, we do have to keep in mind most vaccines um, have not been researched in donkeys or mules yet, but donkeys and mules still get a lot of the same diseases that horses get. And donkeys are very susceptible to um, equine influenza. And so we need to definitely vaccinate for influenza. They can get West Nile. They can um, get EPM. That's another study we're going to look at doing. They may not always show the clinical signs, but they still can, can be positive. They still can contract those different viruses and bacterial diseases. Donkeys especially are very um, susceptible to tetanus. And we think about, we, I mean, you know, think of, you don't see many tetanus cases in the U.S., but some of my travels take me to places where we see it frequently. And um, that's just something to keep in mind, a very cheap vaccine. But donkeys still need to be vaccinated for it. And the same with our mules. Um, I, you know, I work with my local veterinarian in terms of, you know, my summer vaccines, my fall vaccines. There are ideas that mules and donkeys are more resistant to the various viruses and bacteria that we typically vaccinate for. Again, I think that's a misnomer. I think they're better at hiding the signs until they're really sick. And I think a lot of owners then are not active in doing a necropsy when their animal does pass away. So we don't truly know what it did die of. Right. That's, that's a really good point. And when you were talking about uh, vaccinating and just general health care, um, how, how would you tell a veterinarian to keep records on this because again one of the things that my vet when she first started working on the donkeys and mules that we had back in Kentucky was okay I'm having to keep really close records because again body temperature is different the blood uh, draws all the CBCs they come back a little different so she had to get baselines on all these so she understood them especially if they were the only ones in her practice at the time yeah, yeah so what do you suggest for vets um, you know, it's just hard to say. I would say if you do have a mule or donkey that comes, especially has an upper respiratory infection, um, you know, try to run PCR and try to identify, you know, what is the cause of this upper respiratory infection if possible. Um, because, and again, sometimes it can be a, you know, a primary disease and we have a secondary disease that has maybe infected the guttural pouches or has, you know, even gone down to the lungs. Um, but look for those same signs. So they might not have as much nasal discharge as a horse that has, say, uh, rhinopneumonitis, equine herpes virus one or four. Um, but there's also asinine varieties of herpes virus. And so if it's a donkey, I try to encourage veterinarians also test for the asinine two, um, three, and five, because we have detected higher loads in donkeys with HV of those strains. Um, and I just, I think even really small clinical signs of any disease, we need to take very serious. Um, guttural pouch infections seem to be a problem in mules and donkeys harboring bacteria, having a constant infection. 
but not always having the drainage that we would see in the nasal cavity with a horse with the same level of infection. Another thing to keep in mind, um, looking at acute phase proteins, testing for like serum amyloid A or fibrinogen, I think those are helpful as well in trying to diagnose if a donkey or mule is sick. My experience with serum amyloid A in donkeys and mules from a couple of studies we've done, you're still not going to see the inflammatory response of the same disease that you would see in a horse that that donkey and mule has. So yes, SAA may not come back over 2,000 microliters. It might come back at 600 or 800. That is a very sick donkey or very sick mule. So I, I think adjust the parameters. When you have a mule or donkey case come in, try to do your homework. Try to, try to get out there and find the latest articles on Google Scholar. And I'm always more than welcome to try to answer any questions. If I don't have the answer, I'll try to connect with my various colleagues that also specialize in this area. Today's Diseased Is Your podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health, the maker of prestige vaccines, Banamine, Panicure, Regimate, Protozil, and other trusted equine health solutions. Merck Animal Health works for you and for horses. Learn more about Merck Animal Health's comprehensive portfolio of products, as well as their unconditional investment in our industry, profession, and community through programs such as the Respiratory Biosurveillance Program, the partnership with Equitrace, which delivers secure, streamlined record keeping and instantaneous temperature measurements when coupled with Merck Animal Health Biotherm Microchips. Visit MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com for more information. It's wonderful to me to have more people because. When my daughter graduated from college a long time ago, she was an incredible horsewoman. And so for her graduation present, I bought her a mule because I said that mule can teach you things I can't. And I do believe that donkeys and mules can teach veterinarians and techs things that they may not know before. I mean, they are different species of animals. Yeah, no, I just I think another point to to bring up, um, especially for a lot of practitioners that are interested in sports medicine and lameness, when again working with a mule or donkey, the shape of the hoof from an anatomical standpoint is quite different. It's much more upright. Um, the heel angle, the toe angle is is different. Not to say that they still shouldn't follow the pattern of the angle of the pasture and the angle of the shoulder. But that's usually much steeper, especially in a donkey, especially in a mule. And when we try to use a basic diagnostic tool like hoof testers, it becomes more challenging to try to establish where the abscess is. Donkeys, especially in wet climates, are very susceptible to abscesses. And again, they're not going to present the same way as a horse. Um, You will see maybe pointing of the toe, but how deep, how large that abscess is, you may have to turn to radiography and things like that to actually find it. Um, Same thing with a mule. Um, Again, they tend to be more responsive to acute pain. um, And we still see some of the same diseases that we see in horses like navicular disease, side bone, ring bone. Um, We're seeing more cases of osteochondrosis or OCD, especially in mammoth donkeys because of the breeding. they may not be lame until there's a lot of deposits or OCDs in the hot joint. So that is something also to consider. Um, I found good luck with the lameness locator and some other sensory devices and trying to pick up lameness, um, especially with mules, who again will be more stoic, 
may not show all the signs until you get them maybe on a hard straightaway or again, maybe in a circle and a round pin, but don't give up. If the owner says they're seeing a lameness, their mule is off, the donkey is off, pull out all the bells and whistles to try to figure it out, but it's going to make you a better practitioner because it's, they're not going to present maybe the same as the horse. Um, I think doing, you know, different alternative therapies like laser and acupuncture, veterinarians that practice chiropractor, I think, again, all that can really help mules and donkeys because we have a real challenge trying to fit saddles um, and equipment to them. So they also can get really sore in their back and, and their bodies. And we're asking them to jump and do cattle classes and draw, you know, do lots of different events. Um that maybe anatomically they're not made to do, so they're still going to have soreness just like our sport horses are. So, um, like I said, try to use all your technology and, and knowledge when working with them, and, and I truly do think it'll make you a better vet when working with horses. And one more thing that I definitely want to mention, because I know some of my vet friends uh, do have their dogs in the truck. Never get your dog out of the truck until you know if the mule or donkey is not going to kill your dog. That is right. Yes. Um, donkeys and mules both very territorial. They will learn to know the barn cats, the dogs that live at that barn. But if you have your own dog with you, yeah, just be very cautious. Um, a lot of times donkeys actually are used as guard animals and they're so quick with their front feet and pawing. <laughs> my, uh, my mule is so good with my Jack Russell. It is unbelievable. He was running under his belly, you know, chasing balls today, that is not the norm. <laughs> and I don't know that another dog could do that. They, cause they really, they learn their people, they learn their animals, but yes, proceed with caution with a, a dog they don't know. Yeah. I had my daughter and I were out uh, checking cows one day and we both riding horses that day and the, the mule, her mule was out with the cows and we had all the dogs with us. And my dog was as a border collie. And also my border collie comes and runs under my mare, who's very dog broke, and sits down. And here comes the mule with her ears back. And she's like, I'm going to eat your dog. And fortunately, my mare was above her in the hierarchy, which is very typical with mules and donkeys that horses are higher. And uh, she said, no, you need to go away. But yeah, I mean, she, she we actually used to loan that mule out when packs of dogs got into sheep and she would just kill the dogs. Yes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Proceed with caution with your dog. And is there anything else? Look, let's let's look at behavior again. Is there anything else that you can help vets and techs when they're they're going to be working on donkeys and mules, and maybe they're not as familiar with working with them? Just kind of some final words. Yeah, I think when they come to the clinic, um, really easy for a donkey and or a mule to become depressed. So get out higher valued food. Get out alfalfa get out the senior um the mule the donkeys will all respond quite well to that not a bad idea to bring a donkey a friend um they do better in pairs and if you have a mule in a clinic you know it's great if they can maybe see a horse they can see a buddy not all mules do well in confined places um so it's just something to keep in mind Donkeys, especially, I've been called to our different at our vet clinic going, um, the donkey's not drinking water. What do we do about this? So you can add a sweetener. You can add a little bit of grain sweet feed to sweeten the water. They're very, very sensitive to chlorinated water, not their own water. So keep an eye on that. 
even the color of the bucket or the feed pan can be standoffish and they'll not drink water or not eat. So you may have to actually hold it for them. You might have to get another color. I know that sounds silly, but if you already have a sick animal, it's going to make them even sicker if they don't eat and drink. So those are some just very common things to, to be aware of. Well, we certainly appreciate today. Um, and, and as an owner of donkeys and mules, I appreciate when when my professionals, whether it's a farrier or a vet or a tech, have worked to try and understand them because mules is different. And uh, it's something that you've spent your career working with and continue to learn about. So we really appreciate you joining us today on the Disease Du Jour podcast. And we we thank our listeners for joining us and a special thanks to our 2022 sponsor, Merck Animal Health. We invite you to listen and rate past episodes of Disease Du Jour on your favorite podcast network. And if you have questions or suggestions, you can send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown at equinenetwork.com. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC.